welcome to Grace Life Church Podcast. If you would like any more information about us, please visit our website, gracelife.com.au. The subject that we've been going on and topic that we've been talking on for the last few weeks of becoming rich and biblical attitudes and understanding of wealth and riches is actually one that I've been leading a ministry around for almost a decade in this city. So when I was told that I was going to have an opportunity to speak on this subject, I was thinking, right, how do I compress a decade's worth of teaching into 30 minutes? And the problem comes not in what you include, but what you choose to leave out. And so um, I'm hoping that as we move through and as Holy Spirit is wont to do, even uh, in the latter stages of my preparation, There are different things that God's prompting, and so, look, there are notes, but whether I follow them or not is completely up to God, and we'll just see where we end up. Father God, Lord, I thank you. I thank you that you are King of kings and Lord of lords, that you are the creator of the heavens and the earth, that it is from you that all things come and all things exist, Father. I thank you that I can stand here to represent you, Father God. Lord, I pray that this morning, as I do so, that it is your words, not my words, that minister to your people, Father God. I pray for open hearts and open minds, Father God, to receive what your spirit would say. And I pray this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. So, I thought I would start with some... uh, some basics to make sure that we're all on the same page as I maneuver through some of these bits and pieces because it's a huge subject. And let's be honest, um, when it comes to the topic of money, the world is all quite frankly in the place where they go, look, I think the church should keep out of my wallet the way that society is deciding the church should keep out of politics. Yeah, Mo- Most people don't think that the church should tell them, and I don't intend to. But I happen to believe this book is God breathed. I happen to believe that every word in this book, as it says, is good for teaching and ministering. I happen to believe, contrary to what other people tell you, that this is fundamental and belief in what the Bible teaches is fundamental to our Christian walk. And so I'm going to hopefully share not just what I've learned on my personal journey, but also what the Bible specifically says into this space so that we can make sure that it's not what Bobby's telling you, but it's actually what's written in the Bible that it says. So becoming rich, first and foremost, in the Bible, wealth and riches. So we've got these two terms that kind of get bandied around. And in our modern day society, which has taken the English language and it's kind of concocted it and reshapes words to the point where what they used to mean has got nothing to do with what they mean today. Just ask any kid that wants to be sick, right? It's, it, it's a different world. So wealth and riches are actually two different words and they mean two different things in the Bible. Okay, so if we go to Psalm 112, verse 3, it says, Wealth and riches are in their houses, and their righteousness endures forever. Now, I've just called this verse out as an example, but there are literally hundreds of them. And if you're not aware, this book talks about how we look after wealth and riches ten times more than it talks about faith and love. Right? It talks more about how we steward or how we look after what God's given us than it talks about any other subject. 
and yet it's one that we kind of leave off the table because we focus on the little things. So it's really important that we actually get this because my reckoning is if this book is God-breathed and God said, I'm going to put this subject in there 10 times more than any other subject, it's because he knows that we're a bit thick and we need to get that subject more than any of the others, right? Okay? So what's the difference between wealth and riches then? So the truth is, wealth in the Bible talks about things that can create riches, okay? So when we talk about wealth, you'll frequently see, particularly in the Old Testament with Abraham and things, they talk about wealth in terms of the animals, the livestock that they had, because from the livestock in the Old Testament, and this is one of the reasons that Noah was the wealthiest man on the planet, because the animals were the wealth, because from the animals you could create food, you could create clothes, you could create more animals to create more wealth. You could sell them, you could do so much with them. They were a creator of riches, okay? And so wealth, when we talk about it in the Bible, is something which can create riches. Therefore, wealth has more value than simply cash in your pocket, yeah? If you've got something that can generate money, then it's worth more than the money itself, right? And riches certainly pertain to the things like gold, silver, and these types of things. So we need to understand the difference of this because the, there is an obsession in the world to have stuff, yeah? We live in a materialistic society. And the interesting thing is, if you actually learn from those who are considered wealthy, okay, the interesting thing is you see a consistent pattern in the way they've lived their lives, and it follows after a Jewish pattern because the Jews knew the difference between wealth and riches. And so they prioritized wealth over riches because they knew if they concentrated on building wealth that the riches would just follow, okay? But in our world, we've got people running around, they're spending money on stuff which doesn't appreciate, yeah? It just appreciates whether it's fancy cars, fancy bits of technology, clothes, whatever else, yeah? The wealthy in this world are the ones that invested what little they had in stuff that would accumulate more wealth. And that's basically how Jewish society has lived. If you look at Jewish society, they, they basically account for about 2% of the population of the planet, right? But when you look at the wealth that they carry, it's about 25 to 30% of the wealth of the planet, yeah? That's 10 times because of the way that they think about these things. So that to me tells me that we can learn a lot from this. Now Craig Hill tells the story that um, there was a Christian, I, I can't remember if it was him himself or a friend of his, who went and spoke to a Jewish accountant and was talking to this Jewish accountant and said simply, do you, do you have Christian and Jewish clients? And the accountant said, of course I do, yeah. And he said, so can you tell me which, which one, is there a kind of balance? Is there, is, can, do you see one of those groups being far wealthier than the others? And the accountant almost choked. He laughed and said, of course I do. He said, the Jews are at least 10 times wealthier than any of the Christians. He said, well, I don't get this. What's this about? And he said, well, it's easy. It's really easy for me. He said, the Christians spend their lives in the second half of this book and the Jews spend their life in the first half of this book. And it, the first half's the book that tells you how to manage money, right? 
And so if you spend your life in the second half of the book, you miss out on this massive chunk of what God wants in our lives, okay? Because we spend our lives in that space where we're trying to give, which is fantastic. But if you don't have anything, what can you give? Yeah? So and we can get, I'll get on to a little bit more about some Jewish thinking in regards to this in a minute. The next real key point I want to get is that all wealth and riches come from God himself, right? Proverbs 22.2 says, rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. In Deuteronomy 8.17 and 18, it starts by saying, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. I know I sometimes have fallen into that trap where I've been working really hard, and I know what I'm good at. And I get work really hard at the things I'm good at, and I can generate lots and lots of cash, okay? And sometimes you can get into that mindset where you're going, look at what I've produced, this is all of mine. But if you forget, Deuteronomy 8.18 then carries on and says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. And so confirms his covenant, which he swore to your ancestors as it is today. He gives you the ability. Every, you are fearfully and wonderfully made by a creative God. Okay, every gift, every talent, everything that is within you that makes you up, that allows you to be able to go out there, whether it's a gift with your hands, which is not something I have, okay? Or a gift with numbers and ideas and these types of things. Whatever your gift is, God planted it in you. Okay? God planted it in you. He knows how he made you. He knows what he made you for. Okay? So we need to understand that when we use the gift that God gave us to generate wealth, it's still him outworking through us. Does that make sense? For those of you that want a New Testament reference, I'll throw one in. Colossians 1, 15 and 16 says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created. Hallelujah. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. You see, this brings me on to the next point. Um, It's not that just God created everything. He actually created it for his purposes. There's so many things, and I hear so many talk about, oh, oh no, you can't touch this, it was created by the devil. But I don't see anything in the Bible where it says the devil can create a single thing, right? I see in the Bible where the devil steals, kills, and destroys, that he takes, that he twists, that he deceives, but there's nothing in the Bible that ever says the devil can create, right? So when we come to that and we understand that, and let's be honest, we look at a number of things across history that were created by people who had a certain mindset and play and somebody else came along and twisted that idea into something hideous yeah we see it all the way through history but the creation of these things doesn't necessarily make them evil you see we're stewards of what god has placed here we're stewards of god's wealth and riches we are not owners years ago when god really started to speak to me about this I was in Kurong, and I ended up buying myself a wallet that had a big cross on it because I wanted to remind myself every time I took that out of my pocket whose it was. 
I wanted to know every time I put my hand in my pocket and pulled it out, I was looking at the owner's symbol there before I made a choice about what I did with it. Because we can fall back into the, oh, this is for me, or this is what I want, or these types of things. And we can forget, hang on a second, all things were created by him for his purposes. So what are we doing and how are we choosing to use the things that he has given us? And do they bring honor and blessing to his kingdom? Do they glorify his name or not? Psalm 24.1 says, The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. I'm going to read something, um, a quote out of a book called Beyond Business. Um, and it's actually, it's actually this guy in this book is quoting a rabbi, Daniel Lapin, um, from a book, Thou Shalt Prosper. And he's talking about Jewish attitudes to money. So is anybody aware of kind of the seven spheres of culture type model of society? It's sometimes, it's sometimes shared as the seven mountains, Lance Wall now, Oz Hillman and people like that teach it. The interesting thing about that model, because some people go, no, no, we can't have that model. The interesting thing about that model and what makes it real for me is that almost exactly the same time that was being revealed to two of the world's leading evangelists, it was also being revealed to two secular sociologists. And so that gives it more reality to me because the, the, the truth is the truth is the truth, right? And so it doesn't matter whether you believe in God or not. When the truth is spoken, it will come and link in with you, okay? But anyway, they, the, in, in that model, they have the, the model of uh, the sphere of economics or business from which the finances flow into the other parts of our society. And if you look at it, that's what happens in our society. Business is where money is generated, tends to be, and it flows from there into the other parts of our society. It says here, Jewish people believed that the wealthiest person in the community was the greatest servant in the community. Wealth was simply a measure of how well and how much you serve humanity. Every dollar bill represented a certificate or medal proving that you had served someone, just like a military medal received for service to your country. Money was viewed as a medal for giving your life in service to humanity. Thus, in the traditional Jewish paradigm, if you had no money, you were not serving society. In historic Jewish communities, they gave the best seat in the house, the best seat in the synagogue, to the wealthiest man. This was not because they're trying to suck up to him. No, it was because they truly saw the wealthiest person as the greatest servant of society, deserving the best seat. Interesting how today we have a very different view of why wealthy people are given the best seats in the house. It's because you want to get something from them. It's not because you recognize what they've already given. Yeah? But the Jewish model was very different. See, in the Jewish model, they actually ran businesses. In fact, if you actually understand, does anybody understand where capitalism came from? Well, so capitalism was an invention in England that came out of the church. And it was an invention that basically they said, we should make more money than we need so we can give to the poor. That's the origin of capitalism, right? Yes, it's been twisted in many senses, but the origin of capitalism had a holy purpose. It was actually designed so that we would get to the point where we'd have more than we need. 
And my wife and I fell into the, a similar trap that Leanne was sharing a couple of weeks ago, whereby we went through a period where we kept getting more and more money and we kept finding more and more ways to spend it. Yeah, but we, we weren't actually going, actually, God, you're giving us more than we need. We can, we can overflow the rest of that. What do we do with what God's given us? We talk a little bit, and Scott mentioned tithing last week. See, tithing's an Old Testament principle, and it's funny because I've just been reading research conducted by McCrindle into giving in churches. Um, and the number of people who say, well, tithing doesn't actually relate to a percentage, but it's just about giving, which I find funny because the word tithing means a tenth, which means it's directly linked to a percentage. But um, anyway, we won't go there. Um, but the number of people who understand some of these concepts and try and twist them and tweak them to suit their own needs, to make themselves feel better rather than just trust what God's teaching. You see, when we moved into a New Testament paradigm, it says, for I no longer live, it's Christ who lives in me. What can you take with you? Nothing. Yeah. So if you're already dead, what do you currently have? Nothing. Yeah? If we truly believe that the Bible teaches us that we have died to self so that Christ can live with more abundance, so that we can represent him, so that we can overflow with his grace in this world, then that means actually dying to our desires and our thoughts and our, our thinking in that space and saying, actually, it doesn't matter what I want. What do you want? And when we get to that paradigm, it's not so much about, I have to give a tenth of what I've got. We actually have to come over and say, God, how much do I get to keep? See, if it's not mine, I have to prefer what he wants first and follow his rules first. Because so many of us are in the paradigm of going, right, okay, I'm going to use up what cash comes in and I'll give out of what's left. Now, it takes a brave person to go, I'm actually going to step out of this worldly paradigm into the other. Alison talked briefly in the, when she was advertising that course that there are, two system, there are only two systems in this world. Did you know that? Two systems. There is the system of this world, the secular system, okay? And there is the biblical kingdom system, okay? That's why we're called to be in the world, not of it. We're supposed to operate by a completely different system. Jesus came and said, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That means it's right there. It doesn't mean it's coming down the track, just wait, I'll blow a trumpet, and then it will come. It's at hand, yeah? So we can actually move into a kingdom system with our finances and everything else if we move with that mindset. Colossians 3, 23 and 24 says, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for human masters. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance for the Lord as a, a reward, it is the Lord Christ you are serving. My wife and I got really challenged on this a couple of years ago. Um, I was in a high six-figure paying job, working for a very stable organization, and I had a job for life if I wanted it. And I was in this position, I was thinking, right, okay, we can take the easy road. We can basically just sit here and suck up the cash and just keep going. But God challenged us, and he really started to shake us up. And he said, we felt that we were actually getting pulled to a place where we were being asked to leave 
that situation and step out into running my own business. Now, there's a, there was a fear factor in that space because when you run your own business, you don't know where your finances are gonna come from, right? Anybody who runs their own business around here goes, you don't, yeah, you don't. You don't know where it's gonna come from. And God really began to challenge me because we get to the point as Christians where it's really easy to point at ministers, people like Scott and Stella who've kind of committed their whole life, the missionaries and people like this, to say they live by faith. Yeah, it's terminology we use. They live by faith, we live by a pay packet that comes every month. Right? But God began to challenge me. Because if this book is real, then it's all his. Yeah? He directs it. He decides where it comes from, where it goes. So when I begin to understand that, and if I truly believe, as the Bible teaches me, that it's my Lord God who provides, yeah? My Lord God who provides, and it's from him that all things come to me. Then I was really challenged, because God said to me, do you think I'm going to stop loving you if you resign from that job? Do you think I'm going to stop providing for you and your family? Do you think that's going to happen because I ask you to step out and trust me? And I said, okay. So we took the step. We, stupid, we stepped out. We were fortunate enough that God engineered it, that while we were stepping out, that we were going to get a redundancy payment. So in that space, I'm sitting there going, well, this is brilliant. Thinking, okay, God set it up. We're going to have some finances. We don't actually need to worry about money coming in for a while. And then he shook the boat. And within a week of us stepping out of that full-time job, our finances were wiped out, we were homeless, and we were kind of struggling for a place to be. And then God stepped in. And God proved to us that when we had nothing of the things the world had taught us to lean on and depend on, that he was there. You see, to this day, over two years later, I have never advertised my business. I have never posted an advert. I have never promoted it in any way, shape, or form. I have a Facebook page that is tragically underutilized. I have a LinkedIn profile that I've had for years that I just updated my role position on. I, I just said, God, if this is about you, then I trust you. My phone rings. People, I don't even know sometimes, phone me up and say, can you come and do this for us? I get phone calls from India. I get phone calls from the States. I get phone calls from people who say, can you do this work for us? God just opens doors. He provides. And the funny thing is that what I do for a living, and this is, this is where I begin to laugh at what goes on with God in the world, because you see, the world has been rejecting God for so long, Okay? But what they don't realize is all of the advanced stuff that's being taught to revolutionize business today is all biblical principles. Okay? John Maxwell, some of you may have heard of, one pretty much renowned as the world's number one leadership guru, has written more leadership books than anybody else on the planet. Okay? Where did he learn about leadership? He was a pastor. He was a pastor of a church that failed, and that's how he learned about leadership, and that's how he learned to undo and make sure that he never repeated the mistakes that he made in the church that he first led, okay? 
Now he's teaching Fortune 500 companies about leadership, learnt from leading churches. He also leads companies, but most of what he learned, he learned from leading churches. I deploy a thing called Lean. Some of you may have heard it. Lean is basically stewardship for businesses. Okay, they just brand it differently and call it funny names, but it's basically making good use of the limited resources you have. That's all it is. And this is apparently fundamentally shaking up the business world. Makes me a living. Matthew 25, 21 says, His master replied, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Now, this is repeated. So if you're reading Matthew 25, this, this kind of section is repeated. So there's people with different levels of gifting and different things that are called, but they're all repeated, well done, good and faithful servant. What have you been given and what are you doing with it? What's God put in your hands? Remember when he spoke to Moses and Moses says, what have I got? I don't know. And he says, what have you got in your hand? And he threw down his staff, and that became the lead into the, the miracles that were performed. He simply took what was right there. Yeah, what have you got to your hand that God wants to use, that he's already put in your hand to use? See, God cares about how his wealth and riches are used. He doesn't throw it out there and go, well, let's see what they do with this one, Holy Spirit. Jesus, keep an eye on that one. I'm not sure about them. You know, it's not like that. He's not gambling. He's not at the roulette wheel going, well, let's just put, uh, oh, look, we'll put a couple of grand on Scotty and see where that goes. It's not how he does things. He knows the giftings. We're told that he who is faithful to little things will be given much, right? So when you take the little things that you've got and you use them wisely, then it gets multiplied. As I say, I've been involved with a ministry called Kingdom Investors, um, which actually meet regularly at the Malaga campus these days. And in that ministry, I work alongside multi-millionaires. One of the guys I work with it runs a billion-dollar investment company. And the one thing every millionaire that I've met through that ministry has in common, there was a day where God took them to the point where they couldn't afford their own dinner before he built them back up to leading multi-million dollar organizations which now fund millions of dollars worth of ministry across the world. But he had to strip them back to nothing to get them to the point where they realized none of it's theirs, it's all his. Because as soon as you're going like this, God's got to break your grip before you can just walk and freely give. Yeah? There's a movie called OPM and I think it was Danny DeVito that was in it. A movie called Other People's Money. And Danny DeVito is this real shark, and he's going around laughing about how it's really easy to spend other people's money. Yeah? And he's really kind of, kind of sharp with that. But the truth is, every one of us, every day, is spending somebody else's money. Yeah? How many people have got kids how many people have given your kids money at some point in time to get them to go and spend it on something? Okay, yeah, I have. Um, did they actually spend it on what you gave it to spend it? When you handed that money over, 
Did you not think there was something implicit in handing over that money, that the spending of that money would be done in line with your values and your thinking? Did you? No, you didn't. Okay, well, that's fair. <laughs> I hope, I hoped that when I gave, handed over money that it was spent in line with my values and my thinking, and that I poured enough of that into my son that that was what was going to happen. Unfortunately, it didn't. Anyway, we won't go there. God's no different. When he entrusts us with things, with wealth, with riches, he actually has an expectation that we will work in line with his values, his thinking, that we will use his wealth in line with his purposes for his kingdom growth. Right. Now is where I'm going to upset people. It's all right. I don't mind. Uh, Scott has to deal with the problems. Um, how many people here, put your hand up, have got a Netflix account? Some people are keeping their hands down, but they know they do. Okay, can we move on to the next slide? Netflix. Are you aware that Netflix uses the money that you spend on it to fight to legalize abortion? Okay, so in America, the state of Georgia declared no abortion, right? Netflix immediately declared they would fund the legal battle to overturn that judgment, okay? Not only that, but they immediately declared they would never film another TV series or film in Georgia ever again, and that not one cent of their money would flow into that state, that they would cut off all funding to flow into that state, to try and put pressure on Georgia to change its mind, thinking that what Georgia had done, it was less important than the money they were going to get. Okay? Not very good, is it? You can flick on to the next one. Um, that, I mean, that's just one of the things. Disney and Warner Brothers have followed suit and said, we're not going to do any filming in Georgia either because we won't, we won't film anywhere with such antiquated laws. Okay? So you've got to be mindful that when we're actually given wealth and riches, we, there's, there's an element where we are allowed to have fun and enjoy ourselves, right? Don't, don't think for a second I'm saying that you can't actually go to the movie, you can't enjoy yourselves. What I'm actually saying is we need to be mindful what happens to the money that we pour into the world because the Bible says that the wealth of the wicked is stored up for the righteous, not that the wealth of God is given away to the wicked so that they can battle him on every front, Yeah? We've actually got to be aware that there is a war going on. It's a spiritual war. But I can become a casualty of war if I'm not careful. Okay? So we've got to be mindful of what we do with the money God gives us. I'm going to move on quite quickly. Um, did you know there's a generational flow of finances in the Bible? Okay, so we, we, if you look at the world system, remember I told you there's two systems? The world system is that all of us get in debt and spend our whole lives paying off debt, right? Mortgage, you've got to worry about a word that's got the word death actually is the first four letters of the word, right? Mort means death, okay? So we're getting in debt unto death. That's what mortgage basically means, okay? 
But that's not the way God invented it. That's not the way that God designed it. God actually said that the finances should flow from one generation to another. If you move on to the verse that's here, Proverbs 13, 22, a good person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. Most of us are so skint that we're barely able to afford to pay for the wedding, let alone anything else, right? Because we spend our whole lives getting out of debt. That means we spend our whole lives paying off interest, yeah? Unfortunately, the banks aren't really working to a godly system, yeah? The, the actual intention is that when I'm born and when I grow up, my parents are paying for me, which kind of happens today. And then we get to the age where they leave home and the parents go, phew, I don't have to pay for them anymore. Yeah, that's, that's the way the worldly system works. But that's not the way the biblical system works. And when you understand this, you will understand what the Bible teaches about the bridegroom and the bride and the coming together. You see, in Jewish culture, actually, the bridegroom's father would go away and build a house for the married couple. Right? So the bridegroom and the bride don't actually know when they're getting married. They, they don't get told. Because the, the wedding day is set by the bridegroom's father depending on when he finishes the house that they're going into. So when you understand that in the biblical context of the bride, and Jesus says, I don't actually know when this is going to happen, he's thinking in terms of the, the Jewish model, okay, which is that the bridegroom actually doesn't know. He just knows that they're actually going to get married, it's happening, and there are things going on where a house is being prepared for them, right? So they step in on the first day of their wedding, they step into a brand new house. They step into a place that has been prepared for them. They don't step into a 30-year mortgage. Did you know that finances are the root of a lot of drug addiction in this country? Right? They're the root of domestic, most domestic violence cases in this country, root back to a, fa a problem with finances and families because people are stuck in so much debt and fighting to get out of debt. And a lot of these track back to the fact that we have a society which is entirely built around building up single monopolistic entities rather than spreading wealth. Okay? That's, that's a fact. And it's contrary to the biblical systems. I know we all like to save money, but in doing so, we actually propagate the problems that society is building up. We're called to be in the world, but not of it. Proverbs 19.14 says, Houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. I'm not talking about wives, so I'm going to move quickly on. I'll talk about money, but we're not, I'm not touching wives. That's too dangerous. I'm just going to finish quickly with one more thing. Did you know there is a biblical order to the value of different types of wealth in the Bible? Okay. So we all talk about money, and when we talk about wealth, we all sort of go, oh, it's all about money. And well, there's a point where that's got a relationship, but it's not actually entirely true. So there are five capitals. Now, capital is just another word for wealth for those that aren't actually familiar with the term. There is a teaching um, from a good friend of mine, Brandon Schaefer, and a bunch of guys that run a thing called 3DM. There is a bunch of teaching which talks about the five capitals, okay? And the first of the five capitals, and by, us, by this, when I say the first, I mean the last of the five capitals. The, the first one we're going to talk about, but the lowest of the order, is financial capital, okay? 
And this is how much treasure we have to invest, how much cash we've got. And as it says, it's measured in money. It's measured in actual wealth. What have we got? It's the lowest of the capitals. As you go on from this, the next one is what we call intellectual capital. Now, intellectual capital is of more value than financial capital because as most people would know, what you've got up here helps you make money. Yeah? So it's actually more value than the money itself if it helps you make money. Does that make sense? Okay. That talks about creativity, ideas, knowledge that you have, the stuff that you have to invest. And that's about concepts, ideas, these types of things. I, I, one of the things I love about working with these multimillionaires is all of them take a whole day out to go and pray every week. We live in a society where everybody's going, I'm, I'm too busy, man, I just can't do that, right? These guys are running billion-dollar investment companies. There is no way you are busier than they are. They run global, and by global, I think Kingdom Investors is now an audience of something like 60 million people globally. Um, they run these organizations, and they take a day out every week to pray. Because it's in the day every week that they pray that God reveals to them what they're doing for the rest of the week, and as a result, the rest of the week is easy because they just do what God tells them. That's why the leader of the billion-dollar investment company is a former kind of SAS, Sulu Scout mercenary who, by his own admission, has only ever been trained most of his life in how to kill people, and now he runs billion-dollar investment companies because he just does what God tells him. The next one is physical capital, and that's about how much time and energy you have to invest. How, how healthy are you? How physically well are you and able to do the things that you want to be able to do? Do we take time and put more stock in our health than we do in some of the other things? How much time have you got available? How do you use the time that's available to you? Next one is relational capital. How much relational equity do you have to invest? The Bible in Proverbs talks on and on about the fact that when times get tough, most of the people around you will disappear. Yeah? And anybody who's ever been through tough times know that's true. You know who the people you can count on are when you're in the middle of a trench because they're the ones still standing next to you. Yeah? That's relational equity. That's of more value than money any day of the week. In our time of need, the one that I told you about where he ended up with no money and nowhere to live, it was my uncle who stepped in and said, you can come and stay with me for as long as you like. You can have a whole wing of the house and you can please yourself. And just being able to rely on relations like that who are there and able to step in. But the most important of all the capitals is spiritual capital. That talks about the depth of our spiritual relationship with God, which results in our spiritual equity that can be invested in others. We're supposed to be a wellspring of living water which is supposed to overflow into those around us. If you don't take time and money and invest in your spiritual capital, then you're missing out on the greatest wealth generator there is because our alignment to God and the things of Him will align us with His purposes, His plans, and when we're aligned in there, we move with the flow of heaven. There's no greater place to be. There's no better place to be than aligned with heaven. 
I've got, I've got more stuff in the slides, but I'm not going to go there because we're out of time. But um, bless you. Um, when it comes to becoming rich, let's not be drawn into the worldly mindset of what rich really is. You can have all the money in the world. And let's be honest, this is proven time and time again. How many lottery winners go on to lead a full, successful life? Yeah. There's this big dream in the world. Oh, I'm going to win the lottery. Everything will be all right. And most of them completely destroy their lives and end up more debt than they could ever imagine. Yeah. I talked about the system of the world and the system of the kingdom. The lottery is a counterfeit example created by the enemy of God's abundant blessing. It's a fake. It's not real. Yeah. We want to live in God's systems and God's ways. It's a bold step to step from one into the other because the whole systems of the world have geared us up and taught us it's okay to be in debt. You can have as many credit cards as you like. It doesn't matter. Yeah. You can have a mortgage. You can have several mortgages. That's fine. What are we tying ourselves down to that stops us being released to enter into the things that God wants for your life? Because God didn't create wealth and riches to be a burden to you. He created them to be a blessing to be used through you to minister to the people out there who still don't know his name. Wealth and riches are not for us to glorify ourselves and buy Ferraris and all types of things like that. I won't touch the WRX, don't worry. Um, they're things that are supposed to be there for us to use to bless and minister. Now, I'm not saying that you can't have nice things. Don't get me wrong, okay? God wants us to be blessed too, yeah? But he doesn't want us to become so obsessed with feeling blessed with stuff that we forget that actually we've got to listen to him about where he wants that spent, yeah? Some of us are really good, and Leanne touched on this a couple of weeks ago, asking God about the big questions and forgetting to ask about the small ones. God, where do you want me to shop today? You ever thought of asking that question? Or do you look online and go, where's cheapest? Yeah, it's not my money. I'm spending God's money. And if God wants me to spend more money going into this shop so that that person's blessed, then that's his call, not mine. We've got to shift our mindsets because when you're, when you're carrying that blessing from God with open hands, it's beautiful to watch it flow. We hope you've enjoyed listening to this podcast from Grace Life Church. For more information about us or any of our services, please visit our website at gracelife.com.au.